0: This week on the Tech on Tap podcast, we talk about VMware, vSphere, vVols, and pretty much anything else virtualization with on-tap virtualization TME, Carl Connorth. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi and Sully the Monster. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi. I'm here in the studio, and it's just me. <laughs> I don't know where Andrew is. Uh, I, I put an APB out for him, but uh, maybe maybe he'll show up later. But anyway, uh, on the phone with me today is uh, Carl Conorth, uh, our VMware TME. So, Carl, if you could give everybody a little information about yourself, and if you have a social media account, how to reach you there.
1: All right, sure. Thanks for having me. Justin, um, yeah, I'm Carl Connor I've been at NetApp for nine years now. Um, started on the sales side, supporting customers uh, in, in the San Francisco Bay Area, uh, and including some big global customers, and then uh, decided to try something different. So the past two years, I'm now in the ONTAP group, um, supporting ONTAP virtualization solutions. So uh, VMware, vSphere, uh, spending a lot of time with vBalls lately and uh, having a lot of fun with it.
0: Excellent. So, um, we brought you in because you wrote a recent blog post. So, um, could you tell us a little bit about that blog post and what kind of brought it on?
1: Yeah. So, uh, it's about performance management and uh, specifically with respect to using some of the new capabilities in ONTAP 9.4 and vSphere. And, you know, a couple things. So, I would see customers, so I've been spending time with customers the past couple of years. I see a number of customers, they spend time. Managing individual v- data stores, man- managing individual VMs, trying to get the balance of space and performance just right, and you know that might be okay if you've got a small array or you're doing it with DAS. But when you try and do that, especially with a large scale-out cluster like ONTAP can do, that's really a lot to manage. So I think this is where the performance managed capability, performance management capabilities of ONTAP, really work together with uh, some of the policy features of vSphere because if you take a look at uh, 9.4, it increases QoS scale. It expands uh, what we call adaptive QoS uh, to more uh, more LUNs, uh, uh, both files and LUNs, which is great for vVols. And it also, adaptive QoS is just kind of cool in general because it scales performance as the size of the storage object changes. So all these great features in 9.4, I think really make it easier to manage performance in a large cluster. And I wanted to uh, kind of spread the word. Excellent. So what sort of things are in the new
0: vSphere? Um, What sort of uh, feature sets can we expect?
1: Well, we introduced, we have a new virtual storage console and VASA provider uh, 7.2 that came out mm, I think last month. Uh, In the prior release, in 7.1 release, we had some performance management features like um, you could specify max IOPS. So in 7.1, you could specify max IOPS, which was great for limiting IOPS, maybe for a test dev VM, or maybe you had an unknown workload, um, or maybe you found a VM that was bullying others and you wanted to stop that. So the 7.1 Vasa provider release allowed you to specify max IOPS. But maybe I should back up for a second. So I'm talking about vVol's. So most of the support in 7.2 uh, re- release was around vVol's, and uh, vVol's use something called a VASA provider to manage the storage capabilities for vSphere. So we're seeing a lot more interest in vVol's today, partly because customers were using vSphere 5.5. It was a great release, uh, but vVol's were supported in 6.0. So as customers are transitioning from 5.5 to a 6x release. Um, they're taking a look at vVols. And so we're seeing a lot more interest in vVols and 5.5 goes end of general support in September. So customers are under pressure to migrate to 6.5, 6.7, something like that. So vVols offered two major advantages. They bring VM granular management support to a SAN environment. We've kind of had that for NFS, but you get granular management with SAN environment with vVols. And they also allow this thing I talked about, this policy-based management. So I'll talk more about policy-based management because that's really how we leverage this whole performance capability. But the VM granular support is kind of cool too. In fact, I was talking to a customer uh, last month who told me how he really hated managing LUNs behind his data store. You know, As his storage need changed, as a VM grows in size or maybe gets smaller or uh, they're obsoleted and deleted, um, he had to constantly rebalance. He had to manage the LUN size which made him worry about LUN depths. Did he have enough LUNs to get good performance? So it was a real pain in the butt for him. So what he liked better was VVols. And he's been using VVols now for about six months. And with VVols, each VM is independently sized, but he still gets you know good storage efficiency. In fact, he says he got better storage efficiency than he got with Datastore. Um, and it also allowed him to use storage features directly at the VM level, things like performance management. And the way you take advantage of that is by defining policies. Using these policies can help you kind of save time because you don't have to think about it every time you provision, and also reduces the errors because you define the policy once and then you use those policies when you provision and uh, um, set up the VM. Um, so we've been a lot of technology and on ONTAP specifically for vVols. Uh, we get better storage offload. Uh, we There is VAI, vSphere, APIs for array integration, Uh, that does a lot of offload, but the VASA provider does even more. We offload snapshots, so if you take a VMware managed snapshot, that's actually offloaded to file and lung clones inside ONTAP. Um, We can now offload hot migration of uh, NFS uh, VMs. That's not supported by VAI. And uh, we also can combine multiple volumes into a single VVOL data store. And when you do that and you clone within across the, the volume boundaries, we can do that almost instantaneously as well. So we've got a lot of cool technology just for VVOLs.
0: So tell, break down a little bit about how it's advantageous to have the snapshots offloaded to clones instead of using the, the native ESX snapshot technology.
1: Yeah, ESX snapshots have never been very good. In fact, uh, you can find it in the, uh, uh, the, the VMware documentation, they have knowledge base articles on this that say never go more than two or three deep and don't keep them around for more than a day or two. They're really primarily useful for making backups. You take a VMware snapshot and, and you, you use that as a source of your backup and then you blow it away. So they're not really good for long-term data protection. And that's partly because of the technology they use. They keep this kind of delta file technology, where they keep the old block they keep the uh, the reference VMDK, and they keep new VMDKs that are, are, are delta file changes. And then, if you want to consolidate it at the end, uh, it, it's relatively fast. But it, performance can be really impacted by by using these um, um, VMware managed snapshots. So what we do with a VASA provider, is we offload those to ONTAP. And you're probably familiar uh, with FlexClone, where we can clone an entire volume. But ONTAP also has the ability to clone individual files and and LUNs. So what we do with that is when you take a snapshot, the VASA provider tells ONTAP, that VivaL file or VivaL LUN, make a clone of it. And that's instantaneous. It's incredibly space efficient because we're not all we're doing is tracking the changes, and because of how Ontap's built, it has no performance impact. Accessing that snapshot is just as fast as accessing the uh, the original um, VM.
0: Yeah, and I mean it's also a way you can clone VMs very quickly if you're trying to use them for a test or dev, right? So it's it's a lot of capability built into Ontap for for virtualization.
1: Yeah, I mean either way. So I see people doing a lot of uh, quick, like you say, test and dev cloning. But even just having source templates, you know, they can be long lived VMs as well. Uh, and, and that's kind of the two major use cases we're seeing for VVols today. One is kind of on-demand environments like lab on demand or training environments. And we have a number of really large technology companies that are powering their entire training environment with uh, VVols. And so they spin them up uh, customers, uh, cust- their customers use those uh, VVOL VMs and they blow them away when they're done. And they're very space efficient. They're very fast to create. But even if you've got like templates, you know, template VMs, and you want to clone them for effectively permanent VMs, you know, long-term VMs, uh, th- these offloaded uh, clones work well for that as well.
0: So uh, with the Vival's piece, is that 1.0? Is that 2.0? I mean, what are we qualified so far?
1: so it's it's a little confusing because there's the VVOL a uh, uh, spec is 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 two dot but it's using the vasa api three dot spec but yeah we we support the the two dot, which is the latest from VMware. Uh, I think that came in the Vasa provider seven one and later
0: oh, okay. so two dot is already in there. What ONTAP yeah. version did we start that?
1: Uh, that would probably work. Well, uh, VOS provider will work with multiple releases. So that probably goes back. I have to take a look, but it probably goes back to like nine, one or nine, two.
0: Okay. So all the qualifications been done and everything.
1: Yeah. So, uh, we've
0: had VVOL support for a while. So, I mean, all the way back to 1.0, why is it all of a sudden picking up? I mean, it didn't seem to be doing so well for a while there. Now it seems to be doing better. So what is the reasoning behind that?
1: Yeah, well, it's mostly I think uh, the change in releases. The fact that customers were on vSphere five five, um, that didn't support vVol's. So as they're moving to six five or six seven, we're seeing more and more interest in six seven um, the past couple of months. Um, now vVol's are feasible. So I think I think that's the main reason. You know, if you've got a large production environment, you're not going to change it very often. So when you have this opportunity to do a significant upgrade, you're going to look at well, should we take a different approach? And uh, I, think, I think the ability to do this offload, to do VM granular management, uh, whether you, you know, you can do performance management at the, uh, at the file and LUN level. You could do it manually with system manager if you wanted to, but we also have this ability with uh, uh, the VVOL policy-based management that allows you to uh, define VVOL capabilities in a policy, and then apply those as you crank out your, your individual VMs. So, um, uh, and we have some other capabilities that we take advantage of uh, for that as well. ONTAPS had this thing called application data management. And you might have seen this if you use System Manager. Uh, In System Manager, there's a feature called uh, application provisioning. And we've supported that for a number of releases. And it uses this capability called application data management. It tries to put the, uh, in in the case of uh, System Manager, it'll provision a volume or a data store on a cluster node that has available space capacity as well as performance capacities, so we're looking at performance headroom in OnTap on all the nodes, and we try and place that volume or data store on the node that it, you know is best suited for that, that has that can meet all the requirements, including this headroom. So now with the VASA provider, so the VASA provider we released last month, uh, 7.2, does this for vVols. So use the same application data management capabilities and this what we call balance placement to place the individual VVOL, the, the, basically the VM. It'll place it based on the policy, based on uh, volume available space, and based on that performance capacity. So it, it finds the best location for your individual VVOLs. And then once it finds that location, it's gonna try and make sure the performance stays consistent and, and stays in compliance with, with your requirements by either setting max IOPS, like I, I mentioned, we could do with 7.1, or another new feature in 7.2, which is storage service level. So, storage service level goes beyond max IOPS to set both a floor or a minimum service level, as well as a ceiling or maximum service level. So, we do that with some of that adaptive QoS, and we can support uh, up to three service levels on all flash AFF platforms and one for FAS. And so this allows you to find a service level and then you can change it later. And if you wanna change it by policy, you can do that. You change the policy and ONTAP will try and change all the individual VVOLs if they can, or in some cases it will automatically migrate the VVOL to another volume that can uh, satisfy the policy. Or in some cases you might need to manually migrate the VVOL. But uh, we'll continue to work on that to make it more seamless and automatic.
0: Yeah, and you touched on it earlier that this is you're able to do this all the way down to the virtual machine level. Yeah, so yeah. Um, not just the volume level, not just the data store, but you know granularity is is key here. Uh, and with newer versions of OnTap, you get lots more objects too. I think they increased the the limit to like was it 12,000? Forty, no, 40 thousand. yeah forty thousand yeah. yeah yeah. So a lot more objects. So you know you get a lot to work with within an OnTap cluster,
1: right? And uh, the, this automatic capability to set the VVOL performance levels um, is something that uh, works really great for dev tests. You just define your policy. In fact, uh, in my uh, video I did at Insight last year, I set it, and I made the default policy basically the, the limited performance so that even if a, a VM administrator went in and wasn't sure what they were doing and configured it, they would be constrained if they didn't override and pick a policy that was, for example, for production VMs.
0: Absolutely. So, what about with, what about backups? I mean, what are we doing for backups? Is anything new in in virtual or in vSphere, or you know, what what sort of ways can we back up our VMs?
1: Well, from a, from a from a NetApp tool point of view, we continue to enhance SnapCenter. So, I think SnapCenter four came out, and it added some additional capabilities for um, backup. But it's not really our full featured backup solution for. VMware vSphere. And it's, it's probably, of all the SnapCenter modules, it's probably our most widely used by customers. Um, if you're familiar, if you go way back with uh, uh, NetApp and vSphere, and we do, we, we, we go way back to 15 years ago, we started working with VMware. We've always had capability for backup. Originally, it was built into the virtual storage console. It had some backup and restore capabilities. It used a Snap Manager for Virtual Infrastructure uh, license, but uh, it had the capability to do backup inside it. But in the past couple of years, we've been moving that to a common backup solution called Snap Center. So instead of all the different Snap Managers, we have a single Snap Center, a common uh, database server, and then individual plugins for the user interface for different applications. So you can get a plugin for Oracle, you can get a plugin for SQL Server, uh, and we have a plug-in for VMware vSphere. So uh, in, in fact, I was wrong. It's actually 4.1 is the most recent release. And uh, I think it's available, if it's not available now, it's gonna be available shortly. Uh, and uh, we continue to expand the capabilities. You can back up virtual machines, you can back VM individual VMDKs or data stores. You can then obviously restore them. It leverages snapshots on the local file system, it can do SnapMirror, Snap, mirror, snap vault Replication. It uses some advanced capabilities like single file snap restore to bring back individual VMDKs from primary and secondary snapshot copies. Um, it's got it'll it'll scan your environment and say these VMs are protected, but these VMs are not protected, so you can get an idea of what uh, what you might need to add backup to. Um, it's just a real full featured capability. So that's that's the NetApp solution for backup of your, uh, your vSphere environment. But we also have really strong partners. And in fact, for, for vVols, we recommend two of our partners, um, Commvault as well as uh, Veeam. And they both have uh, solutions for vVol backup that uh, uh, they actually leverage some uh, vSphere APIs like VADP to back those up and uh, uh, make sure they're protected.
0: Yeah, and they also leverage the storage system itself and OnTap to kind of offload tasks. So similar to what you're talking about with the cloning, uh, they'll actually integrate with that pretty easily.
1: Yeah, yeah, and SnapCenter does a great job with that, and and even uh, Commvault and Veeam do use that for um, uh, for their traditional data store backups. But when it comes to VVols today, most most customers are, uh most of our, our backup partners are using uh, VADP, which is a more of a streaming backup.
0: Okay, excellent. So what if I don't have evolves and I'm not ready to migrate to those yet? How can I still get my performance management capabilities?
1: You, yeah, you, you still can. So there are a couple different ways you could do it. One is you could manually assign QoS to a volume or even an individual file or LUN using system manager, or, you know, if you like the command line, you can do that at the command line, you can set QoS. Um, But you can also do it by policy, which is kind of cool. So you can do it manually. But if you create a policy, you can set that for a traditional data store as well as VVOL data stores. So to do that, you need to enable the VASA provider, but we've made that a lot simpler for you because uh, uh, with the 7x releases, it's a unified appliance. So you get the virtual storage console, you get the VASA provider, and you get the uh, storage replication adapter, uh, which works with uh, VMware SRM. It's all in a single appliance. So there's no single installation. You don't even need a a Windows uh, license for it. It's a single uh, Linux OVA that you just put on your vSphere environment, power it up, specify a little bit of configuration, and then you can enable one or more of those three capabilities. And so to do performance management by policy for your traditional data stores, you'll, uh, you'll need to enable the Vasa provider. So it's really just a checkbox and then you log out and uh, log back into vCenter. and and Then you create a storage capability profile, uh, which basically says, this is what my storage supports, and that's where you can set max IOPS. For example, you can say I want to limit all VMs that use this policy, uh, or in this case, data stores. I want to limit all data stores that use this policy to uh, no more than 5,000 IOPS. Then you use that storage capability profile with the VSC when you provision a data store, and VSC will talk to ONTAP and set QoS on it for you automatically. So it can do that for max IOPS. It doesn't do the service levels though. If you wanna use QoS service levels, you need to, uh, that, that's a unique capability for VVols.
0: Cool, sounds like there's a lot of uh, potential for VVols, but if you're not ready to go there, you you still have options.
1: Yeah, and the cool thing about policies is it lets you separate the storage tasks from your VM tasks. So you create the policies once and then you use them to create your VMs. So, I mean, it's great if you've actually got separate teams, you know, some some of the larger enterprise customers might have a storage team and a separate virtualization team. But even if you are on the same team, and I've talked to more and more customers that are consolidating this function to kind of generalist, where a single administrator will manage the storage, manage the VMs and and do that all uh, on the same team, by having predefined policies, it's going to save you time and it's really going to help you reduce mistakes. So it works whether you've got uh, uh, different teams or or a single team.
0: So what else do we have to expect that's new with the vSphere tool set? I mean, do we have support for new file systems or, you know, new protocol types?
1: We do. So uh, VSE added support for automatic provisioning of NFS uh, version 4.1 for traditional data stores. So... um, this is something that was supported before, and we tested it, and and uh, uh, our VAI plugin supported it. Um, but now you can provision it directly inside uh, vCenter with the virtual storage console. So, uh, and in fact, when you go to provision, it's a little brash in that it lists 4.1 as a default. So, you know, unless you're using 4.1, uh, I I would recommend change it to version 3, which is more commonly used by our customers. Um, but uh, it's, it's right there when you provision a data store, it's going to say which, which version of NFS do you want to use. Um, so that's the NFS side. On the SAN side, we now also support uh, VMware's VMFS 6. So VMFS 6, uh, one of the biggest things it does for uh, uh, shared storage arrays is it does a better job with space reclamation. So it'll do automatic reclamation of blocks that are no longer used. So it basically wakes up on a regular basis. I think it's something like every 12 hours, it wakes up and it goes through and says, are there files in the the VMFS file system that are no longer being used? And I can tell the array that it it can free up those blocks. So um, I think it does a better job uh, because prior to this, we really recommended you do it manually. There was automatic support in an earlier vSphere release, but due to problems with it, we recommended not using it. This one works a lot better. Although I still hear from my friends and support that it's not perfect, um, but it it does work a lot better. So um, those are some of the new protocol capabilities. Um, The VASA provider itself, remember that's the part that you need for VVols. It's now tested and supported with MetroCluster configurations. So um, if you really need highly available storage, you can use VVols with them as well. And uh, speaking of availability, we've also built more HA support into the appliance itself. Uh, it has a watchdog. So, if it sees critical processes fail or the internal database that it uses fail, it'll automatically restart those. So, it has some resilience built into the, the appliance. Uh, and then if you want high availability for the appliance, you can use the same VMware HA or fault tolerance features that you'd use for your applications. So, uh H A basically just makes sure that the, if, if, if the VASA provider VM were to fail, it'll restart it on another ESXi host. Uh, fault tolerance basically keeps them in sync, but we we test and certify those uh, with the virtual storage console. Oh, 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 one more thing on the VASA provider is we've updated the storage capabilities that it supports. So I mentioned all the performance management capabilities. Those are kind of, I, I think, probably the, the most exciting. But we now support specification of a NetApp volume encryption. So if you've got NDE enabled, uh, I think it will actually even enable it on a volume if you've if you've already configured uh, uh, volume encryption. So you can specify that in your policy, and you can also specify fabric pool tiering in your policy. So uh, if you use snapshots, for example, for protection, fabric pool is a great way to offload. Cold snapshot blocks to a less expensive object store, and um, I think uh, one of my colleagues, Keith Aysen, wrote a uh, blog post on that. I think he actually had a presentation at uh, Insight last year, so you can probably see the recording of that as well. Um, now with 94, you can actually offload cold blocks from the Active File System, right? So, I, yeah, I guess yeah. if you had like a, if you had a VM that had been powered off for weeks, you it could possibly migrate to the object store. But nobody if you has to do those. that. You... Yeah. <laughs> no, that's it. Especially they're not in my lab. Running. No, they're uh, all I
0: don't have a dozen VMs that are powered off currently.
1: Anyway. Yeah. So if they get if they get powered off, I mean they could be migrated to object store, but then you're gonna have to wait for the latency f- when you power that VM back on. Yeah, it's this, gotta pull have it have back. To wait yep. for it. Yeah, it's gotta pull it back. But that that's another use case. But, but especially for snapshots, because those are by definition pretty inactive. So you can help reduce your primary storage space by using Fabric Pool. And now you can do that with policies for your vVolves.
0: Yeah. And with Fabric Pool, I mean, you don't have to do all the active file system tiering. I mean, you can just do backup policy where it'll just just do the snapshots. So you do have a choice.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's right. And and actually, you have a choice in your policy. They have, you can pick those two different uh, options uh, in your policy and specify that.
0: So um, as far as best practices go, I mean, let's talk about some general best practices for virtualization with ONTAP. I mean, you kind of wrote the TR on this, right? So let's kind of cover some of the more frequently asked things that you see.
1: Yeah, well, let's see. So, yeah, TR, and I, I have a, a session at Insight every year on this. So I guess our number one best practice is to use the virtual storage console to do your provisioning. Um, it does two Two really important things. One is it sets all the ESI, ESXi host settings, and the other is it does the data store provisioning. So you could do these manually. In fact, I was just talking to uh, uh, an engineer about this this morning. He said, Do I have to use it? No, you don't have to. Um, my uh, The TR4597, uh, which is the VMware vSphere kind of best practices TR, it has an appendix where it shows you all the settings we do on the host, and some of them are common ESXi settings uh, that help enable offload. Some of them are specific to NFS, some of them are specific to SAN. You can definitely manage them yourself. The problem is you might think you got them right, and then some other tool comes in and changes it. Or maybe you install some other storage system or something that goes in and changes it. So not only does the VSC set the host settings right in the first place, it's constantly monitoring them and it'll throw up an alert if those change. So, and then the same thing for provisioning. We know what are the best volume settings for um, provisioning uh, data stores. So we set all those for best storage efficiency, for best performance. So uh, using the virtual storage console is our best practice. And we actually did a, uh, uh, a study uh, a, a year or two ago where we looked at all the support cases coming in and we said, you know, about three fourths of those support cases probably would have been avoided because they were related to incorrect settings. So if people had just used the VSC and done the, the correct settings, they would have avoided a lot of uh, uh, support cases. So that's our number one. Um, and you get other cool things with it. You get, there's, it's got a new performance dashboard, you can get performance reports for your VMs. Uh, the VVols even have their own performance dashboard with uh, VVol level performance metrics. So, so that's another cool thing with VVols. You can get individual latency numbers uh, uh, IOPS throughput numbers for each individual VM directly from Ontap. So, so that's our tools. Another question I get a lot is, well, how many data stores do I need? I'm setting up a new vSphere environment. Should I go with one big one or a bunch of small ones? So, you know, it varies. But as a general rule of thumb. To get the most out of ontap and the, the hardware resources of ontap cuz really ontap's built for multiple workloads it's not built just for a single workload you can use it for that but it's really built for multiple workloads and so we generally recommend for uh, at least four data stores on an ontap uh, system uh, if if the workloads really light you could probably get by with one but if you if you have a fair bit of workload it's better to spread it up across multiple multiple volumes. And, and that's true of ONTAP in general, right? That you would recommend that to um, traditional NFS customers or other customers. So, um, and th- there used to be concern that, well, gee, if I spread it out over multiple volumes, I'm not going to get the best storage efficiency because it used to be we would only do uh, deduplication by volume, but in recent releases, we now do deduplication at the aggregate level. So that's no longer a problem. And then when people say well okay so i need multiple data stores what's the optimum size uh based on our experience with lots and lots of customers and i talk to the field experts on a regular basis the sweet spot is really around four to eight terabytes um you can go larger and i've got customers who go all the way up to the the maximum volume size which right now is 100 terabytes um but you know, for protecting that, for doing backup, for doing snapshots and replication, and and all those capabilities that we we support, really the sweet spot is 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 smaller around four to eight terabytes. So, um, and and then we also recommend that you enable uh, auto size. Uh, it used to in the old days we called it auto grow, but in um, in the in m- more recent releases, we support the ability to shrink the data store as well. And so some of our field experts feel this is really important so that as the data store grows, and I think the default threshold is somewhere around uh, um, uh, 80%, once it reaches that threshold where use space reaches 80%, it'll begin to grow the volume automatically. And you can set limits on that. You can say, I don't want it to grow more than 120%. I think that's the default as well. Um, but this will ensure that. You don't run out of space. The volume will continue to grow uh, as needed. So, And then, of course, enable thin provisioning because you need that for a lot of our uh, efficiency technologies like uh, compaction and aggregate deduplication. And then thin provisioning is just generally a good practice to use uh, on the vSphere side as well. So uh, of course, if you're going to do all this, then you need to monitor your aggregates to make sure you don't run out of uh, storage in general so that you can continue to satisfy the needs of the volumes as they grow Um, so that's that's it on data stores is that does that help
0: yeah i'd also add um so when you're using thin provisioning and you're monitoring your aggregates you want to make sure that you don't go well generally you want to keep it around 80 percent capacity until you start to really start to think about moving things around but the absolute like max is like I think ninety seven percent before we start to have issues when we have you know cis uh, duplication involved because yeah. it'll actually cause problems with creating new storage uh, you know such as flex groups right if you want to create a flex group we'll actually prevent you from doing that.
1: True, yeah, I know. With when when because I go way back and when we when, when we only had spinning disk drives, I think we would say like what 90 percent was a good maximum. But I think with AFF, I've seen. Uh, definitely going higher than that.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, just until you start to think about, okay, you know, what's my next step, right? Exactly. Yeah.
1: What's the time? How long does it take me to do a PO, order new storage, get it installed?
0: Yeah, or start deleting stuff or, you know, offloading it using Fabric Pool. So there's a lot of options there, but you do need to start thinking about that when you hit this soft threshold.
1: Yeah. And that reminds me of another good uh, uh, best practice, which is take advantage of offload. Uh, I, uh, I mentioned earlier on, VAAI, that was the original vSphere technology to offload uh, both SAN and NAS functions to the storage array. As we, for SAN, it's built into vSphere. For NFS, it's a plugin. Uh, That's the way VMware designed it. Um, It makes it a little bit more of a pain, but the VSC can help you install that plugin on your ESXi hosts. Uh, The only painful part is you have to reboot the ESXi host after you install the plugin. But once you do that, you can do all kinds of offload capabilities um, that help preserve your ESXi CPU for running your VMs, not doing storage tasks. Uh, and the same thing with encryption. I mentioned uh, NetApp volume encryption before. Again, that you can do encryption on uh, at the vSphere level, um, but then you're gonna be using your ESXi CPUs to do encryption. By offloading it to the storage array, you preserve those um, uh, uh, capabilities for your for your VMs. Yeah, and NVE
0: will actually use the processor on the storage to offload some of those encryption pieces if you've got the AES-NI uh, enabled processors.
1: That's right. In fact, yeah, you're right. The Intel CPUs actually have uh, capabilities that help us offload those, so it's not even a big impact to on to Yep.
0: So, so what about um network? Uh, do we have any network considerations in terms of our data lifts and how we architect that out?
1: Data lifts, oh, that was the one I was going to bring up next, which was uh, data lifts. In the past, there were some uh, recommendations from NetApp uh, where we said you might want to consider a lift per data store. But today, we just say in general, whether it's SAN or NAS, one lift per node is okay. And uh, the, the original concern was around uh, we had some use cases where maybe on some of our entry level uh, uh, controllers, that indirect access that is if the so a lift is a logical interface right and so it can sit uh on any node and it might cause you so so maybe the data store is on node a but the lift for some reason that you're using is on node b that means that access to that data store has to pass through the cluster interconnect network and um we were concerned that maybe that would add some latency, uh, but more importantly, on some uh, some of our older entry-level systems, it would consume a fair bit of CPU to do that. And so, in some of our QA testing, we saw some impacts from that. not major from what I could tell, but there were some impacts. And so, based on that, and the, uh, what do they say, an abundance of caution, we um, we said go with one lift per data store, but that's not a problem. The added latency is in the microsecond level. It, it, it's, it's really minimal. And our modern uh, controllers all have plenty of CPU to handle that. So one lift per data uh, per, per node is, is fine. And,
0: and along those same lines, I mean, the VSC is going to help negotiate those paths and make them local. So the only time you'd probably end up remote is if you had a vol move or a lift migration.
1: exactly exactly it does configure that uh, locally and then a lua will help you with the same thing on the sand side
0: does vsc still bug you incessantly if it's not local
1: (laughs) i don't think it does i don't think it does i haven't seen it but uh that's good because that was that was annoying
0: but i digress all right so um Uh, if if we want to find more actually do we have any more best practices before we get move on
1: Oh, uh, just take advantage of storage efficiency. I, I talk to customers, and the one that really blows me away is I talk to customers with AFF systems where they've actually disabled storage efficiency. And that just makes no sense to me that the all flash fast systems have plenty of, of uh, IO and CPU to handle all our storage efficiency capabilities. That's why we enable them by default. I'll you know. So there's no reason to turn them on. And, and I would encourage you to consider them for even for fast systems, especially background deduplication. You can get a lot of savings with background deduplication. You might need to be careful on how you set it, but you can get a lot of storage savings. And we see customers with anywhere from two to one, three to one, four to one savings. Depends on the mix of VMs, uh, you know, how common they are, um, but... Uh, I would really encourage you to take advantage of all the storage efficiency capabilities. Um, what else? The other thing, uh, guest timeouts. You might want to set the guest OS timeouts. Uh, we have scripts that'll set those. They're especially important for uh, for SAN. So uh, the, for so for SCSI guest OS timeouts, you want to set those. Um, and then uh, definitely consider all flash fas You know, if you're upgrading, I would encourage you it just. The 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 performance of the controllers, the I/O ability of the SSDs, just really can help you avoid a lot of performance problems. It with with the storage efficiency it enables, it really um, it's it just a great choice. I have a number of customers who are just so happy that they made the choice to go with AFF. Um, so I, I encourage you if you're if you're making that choice now, think hard about uh, going off flash.
0: Yeah, and like you mentioned, I mean, there's some all-flash considerations with some of these storage efficiencies. You know, for example, aggregate-level dedupe is only all-flash. Right. So keep that in mind when you're purchasing your storage because you can actually save some money. Even though you're paying a little more for flash, you can save some on the back end with these storage efficiencies.
1: Exactly. And I I saw some of my bigger customers do do exactly that. They went from, you know, around 2 to 1 with their FAS systems to up to 3 to 1. With their AFF systems, which enabled them to, uh, you know, handle the additional cost. Yeah, that and you get
0: a smaller footprint because you get to use the larger capacity drives. You don't have to have as many racks. So a lot of savings can be seen after the fact. Um, but then it's a CapEx versus OpEx discussion at that point.
1: No, oh, yeah. And power and cooling. I remember standing in the data centers realizing these disk drives put out a lot of heat. The but when I was freezing did. in yeah. the data center, that was the place to go to warm up. I was going yeah. to stand behind the rack of uh <laughs> <All laughs> spinning
0: drives. Here. Yeah. Yep. All right, so if we want to find more information about VMware best practices or what's new in vSphere uh 7.2, where would we find that?
1: Yeah, so um, a couple of things. So uh, there are a couple of blog entries that I think should be available shortly. Uh, So take a look at blog.netapp.com and look for uh, VVols and and, 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 uh, vSphere. You should be able to find those. I just published a major update to the VVol technical report. So I mentioned uh, TR4597. That's our general vSphere technical report. I updated that in February of this year. Um, But this... VVOL Technical Report is TR4400, and I did a complete rewrite on this one. The, I guess it was right for the time. So the, the, the previous version was published in 2015, and back then it was more about introducing people to VVOLs and step-by-step, step, here's how you use them. I changed that. I, I focus now on use cases, uh, best practices. I had a whole bunch of best practices on VVOLs. I had some troubleshooting information. Uh, it goes into a lot of detail on performance management that I mentioned uh, and also has an appendix on data protection. So doing backup with Veeam and Commvault. So um, uh, I'll be at VMworld this year. So that's gonna be in uh, Las Vegas at the end of August. I'll be presenting some of this in our booth. So if you guys are there, um, feel free to come come to the booth and talk to me. Uh, I also have three sessions lined up for INSET. That's our NetApp conference uh, later this year, I think in October in Las Vegas again, and uh, December in Barcelona. And uh, at Insight, I'm especially excited because I'm gonna be talking about a major business software customer of ours who powers their entire private cloud with ONTAP vVols. They've got like over a petabyte of storage, thousands and thousands of vVols on more than a hundred ONTAP nodes. So it's really cool. And I hope to share some of that uh, details with you. Uh, other than that, I'm happy to chat with folks. My email is open door. It's my last name, so Connerth, K-O-N-N-E-R-T-H, at netapp.com, and also on the Twitter at uh, Connorth. So um, I don't tweet that much about storage there. I mo- mostly tweet about beer, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, are, beer, they, are, beer, are, are they not the same? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Untap, so, like, longboard. To hear from you guys. Kingfisher, yep, longboard. You got it, Rolling Rock. Anyway, uh, so yeah, uh, excellent. So a lot of good information there. A lot of good places to find that information as well. Um, yep. And nice teaser there for insight. If you want to find the insight sessions, they are currently not out yet. But if you want to find them, you can just look for Carl's name when you do your sign up. Yep. And I'm sure Carl will have a blog or some sort of uh, information later on telling you what the exact session numbers are. If you if you so are inclined uh, to look I, for that, that
1: is a great idea. I will definitely do that.
0: Yeah, I usually right do that on. every year. Usually run a blog, say, hey, this is where I'll be. Yep. I will be there. All right, that music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netapp.com or send us a tweet at NetUp. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher or via TechOnTapPodcast.com. If you like the show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire TechOnTap Podcast team, I'd like to thank Carl Connor for joining us today. As always, thanks for listening.